Democrats are set to take control of the U.S. Senate, House, and the White House. This will go down as one of the most progressive administrations in American history. God willing, everything is on the table. You now can pass things without a filibuster threat. That's right. Oh, you'll regret this, and you may regret it a lot sooner than you think. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. Welcome to the Ruthless Variety Program. That is a little homage to our boy Derek Robertson. Is that his name? The the guy political man guy. Yeah. Robertson. Yeah, yeah. He, he wrote a little piece last weekend. Some of you may have seen Meet the GOP Insiders rebranding as the bad boys of conservative <laughs> talk. We ain't going nowhere. We thought we'd give him a little P. Diddy. Yeah, it. we're kind of leaning into the whole geriatric millennial thing with a song from 2010. But, you know, it's cool. Yeah. I like yeah. it. Well, so get on board. right? <laughs> Listen, we got a big show. We got Katie Britt on the program. She's a Senate candidate in the great state of Alabama. And uh, she's more married to a, uh, a former left tackle in Alabama, which I learned in our interview. He's like 6'8 or something like that. A mountain, big man. A big mountain man. of a man. But she's a really interesting candidate. I think you guys will get a lot out of that interview. But we got, look, we got a fair amount of stuff to cover here on the Variety Program. And, and to start, I think, Duncan, you hit the internet button, right? We got long sleeve shirts now. Is that is that the story I'm hearing? We do. We do. We have long sleeve uh, Ruthless shirts in the store, store.ruthless podcast.com i'm gonna i'm gonna do some other colors too that's that's been oh, something folks have asked for look at you you know so maybe a gray maybe like a red one for for christmas outstanding oh. you know it's almost christmas i mean you know halloween's gone that's right hopefully everyone's getting their trees up and and unlike the rest of our nation duncan has a supply chain i that, do that it, will that well will. yeah i hope so <laughs> i'd like you to guarantee it frankly <laughs> Feel like we need those T-shirts. All right, man. Well, listen. Should we read a couple of five stars? Turns out, uh, unlike Politico, there are people who who are interested in listening to the program. Yes, and yeah, the many thousands and thousands and thousands <laughs> of folks. Uh, I wanted to start with this one. It's a really great review. It's from HLH007. It says, "Improving air travel, Secretary Smug." Smug should replace Mayor Pete at the Department of Transportation for no other reason than his initiatives to improve the culture of air travel. Bravo, amigos. I mean, I stand by it. <laughs> if you've got kids, you got travel, either drive or go on Southwest. That's just incredible. <laughs> we apparently got based pilots that are on Southwest now. So Sounds like, right? You know, we'll get into that later in the program. We got There's at least one of these reviews, Duncan, I feel like applies fairly directly to you. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, no, here I see it. Uh, M. Warner 95. Uh, the title is Best Conservative Pod Ever. Being from the great state of Indiana, uh, parentheses, home to Mitch Daniels, Mike Pence, Jim Banks, Todd Young, and many other greats, dot, 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 Duncan. Nice. That's right. That's right. We know how conservation should work. This podcast has the best of both worlds, comedy and real political talk without... The opine we hear on Fox and other outlets. Uh, you tell it like it is and never waver from the principles of our party. I share the pod all the time. Also smug. Knock Indiana again and we will have issues. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, this one comes from Victories One. Uh, now I need a new keyboard. Five stars. As a result of a recovering political consultant, love hearing from the kids that get it. What, or I'm sorry, who more than once have made me spit out my coffee and laugh? We're getting that a lot, 
right? Yeah. It's either like a spitting out stuff or you're crashing your car into something. <laughs> I think that's like a, a latent goal. Re- you know, what we really try to aim for. As a 67-year-old grandma, I will spare you the pick of me in my ruthless tank top. Right. I love it either way. That's Dude, that's so great. So great. I love it. Gosh, I mean, that's the thing. The audience is everybody, right? That's who we do it for. I mean, it is. It totally is. So, look, we got to start with this douche. Um, you probably saw over the week. Maybe you didn't see. I don't know how many people read this stuff. But there was a piece in Politico magazine, mm. which, as best I can tell... It's the leftists that work at Politico when they don't have to fact check. Right. They move it to the magazine. Yep. Yep. <laughs> right? They call it the magazine. And this guy by the name of Derek Robertson wrote this piece, as I said, Meet the GOP Insiders Rebranding as the Bad Boys of Conservative Talk. Now, what it was was an opportunity for him to just launch ad hominem attacks at the Variety Program. Yeah. I mean, the, the what's hilarious is, like, the centerpiece of his argument is... Uh, I like listening to Pod Save America. Yeah. I don't like this <laughs> podcast, which is like, oh, perfect. He also like sort of created a grand unified theory of what it is we do here, which I, I feel like is very generous. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, we talk about horse fighting on this and do some interviews and we put people in a good mood. But what? that's the thing. Like, like, I, you know, he definitely didn't like it. it and we'll, we'll go into this. Duncan, Duncan has all the receipts. You can tell he didn't really listen to the program much because he did not bring up any instances of horse fighting, <laughs> fake space, like, you know, our bread and butter stuff. The stuff that we, that we do. Yeah, or any of the games. None of the games. He mentioned none of the games. What happened, and, and we want to get into this, but there are two reasons why, we, why we're here, right? Why somebody like Derek Robertson... Uh, is interested in the variety programs. It's not because he's interested in listening to us. Right. I'll tell you that much. Right. And if he did enjoy this podcast, I, I would burn down this studio. We'd probably quit. <laughs> we'd, prob- we'd probably quit. But for for him and everyone like him, they're furious that the variety program isn't governed by the left's rules. Yes. Right. Right? They're upset that we refuse to get into that little box that the journo glitterati puts every conservative and right. then looks at like a zoo animal. Right. Right. I mean, like I, I, it was, it was shocking for me cause I actually went and read this thing. The pillars of his argument are number one, I like Pot Save America. Why is this not Pot Save America? And number two, he was like, uh, why don't these guys start a Never Trump podcast? Right. Yeah, like, right. There should be more Never Trump podcasts. He wants there are to not do. enough of those. Seriously. And and the Variety program doesn't talk enough about January 6th. Yeah, we don't. It's like, right. God, you're, you're telling on yourself. Right. No, you know? We don't talk enough about January 6th. <laughs> we, we're we not like the Pod Bros. Can I get, do we have the, uh, do we have the, the West Wing anthem queued up anywhere? Pod Save America, led by a group of former Obama staffers that was and remains a resistance-flavored culture phenomenon. It appeals to a beleaguered, apocalyptic-minded liberals over the past four years who are easy to understand, born, like Ruthless, of this easy rapport between its hosts and a parade of quasi-newsy pep talks with the party's top brass. I mean, it's amazing how he's how he like describes Pod Save America. Like it's easy to understand why people would like Pod Save America. It's like, wow. <laughs> but I mean, look. I mean, this is one of the reasons why I struggle with this segment, doing this segment at all, really, because like, yeah, clearly he didn't do his research, didn't listen to enough of the program. Because I, 
I saw a lot of stuff in there that was factually inaccurate. Right. But you know he's listening right now. Yeah, right, right. And, and, and this guy has, has never felt more powerful in his entire life than he feels <laughs> right now. He got, I mean, he got ratioed to hell by the Manians uh, when, he, when he tweets out this article. And also, with the Podsafe, you know, comparison, you know, he didn't do his homework because we've, like, dunked on Podsafe so hard because they copied us with their, they copied our March Madness. Right, right. They started this, like, March Badness thing. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. And, and okay, I mean, I'll let, I'll let Duncan continue. He's got this. Well, look, I mean, I think we should just walk everyone through the, the chain of events here that transpired. So, so this is the second reason. The first reason was he hates people like us because we're not in his right, box. Right. The second reason is what you're about to explain. Yeah, so on Thursday, we did a segment where I think we did a pretty good job of sort of laying out the fake news ecosystem that George Soros and Reid Hoffman are funding uh, as a sort of a rebrand of Tara McGowan's uh, Courier Newsroom and acronym. Yeah, so like Tara McGowan was uh, put in charge of this like very shady liberal dark money group called like acronym and pacronym. And they had all these like little shell companies that uh, uh, donors would fund that basically would put out what people thought were like actual newspapers, but were not. They, they, they were just like pushing, you know, fake news propaganda for Dems. Yeah. So, I mean, if you haven't listened to that episode, you know, give it a listen sometime. I, I think you'll find it helpful. You can also go to Open Secrets and, and read the article, Dark Money Networks Hide Political Agendas Behind Fake News Sites. Um, and there's a whole flow chart of all of these LLCs and organizations and all this sort of stuff. Anyway, we lay that out because Axios did this rebrand of, of and, and, and political magazine. Well, so yeah. So, so we put out that episode on Thursday on Friday, political magazine does a Q and a with Tara. <laughs> hey, tell us more about this thing. That's going to get tens of millions of dollars from left-wing backers that's going to fight disinformation designed tell, to tell us more about that you like know designed right. to confuse people right about the information that they're receiving and, and and some more timely information about tara uh the americans for public trust put up this thread on twitter where they're like uh new while trying to rebrand herself as a fighter against fake news we caught uh tara mcgowan lying to journalists first she lied to axios claiming that our fec complaint against her fake newsroom courier newsroom was dropped she, she told the paper, oh, it was dropped. The problem is the complaint is still pending. They post the receipts. Then she pushed the same lie to Politico. Luckily, we provided Politico with the receipts, and they corrected the reporting. You know how that goes. Like, they set oh, up this, like, sorry. Q&A and this, like, right. fluffy, oh, yeah. she's fighting for democracy. Right. And then, like, days later, you'll see this little line at the bottom. We've like, updated the link. Font. Right. Accidentally, yes, she is still being sued. Well, so, so this editor from Politico magazine tweets out this Q&A that she did with Darren McGowan. Very proud of it. And I replied immediately, and I said, this is fucking pathetic. Yeah. And I, I mean, I do think it is fucking pathetic. Is. I, I yeah. think that the same media who said for four years that Donald Trump was elected because of Russian disinformation, you know, on, on Facebook, to turn around and help rehab the image of one of the architects of fake news disinformation on the internet yeah. is fucking pathetic. It, it is. It's insane. It's insane. Okay. They didn't fast, take that kindly. Fast forward. The next day, another reporter, this guy, Derek, from Politico Magazine, does a hit piece on the Variety program. <laughs> yeah. Gosh, that's so weird. <laughs> Isn't it weird? It's it, so it, weird. It was strange. I didn't hear from him either. Did you, fellas? No, he didn't call us. It's not journalism. No comment? For comment? Oh, no, no. We didn't have any. Con well, it could have confirmed a few of the errors uh, in his piece. Uh -huh. But, you know, be that as it may, he took it upon himself to write a couple thousand words without talking to the source of the story. 
No, I mean, it's pretty incredible. But, like, look, I mean, he did the same thing to Portnoy. Portnoy. Yeah. And Barstool. I mean, yeah. this is sort of this guy's thing is just drive by journalism where he shits all over, like, conservative stuff or yeah. cu- culturally relevant right of center stuff. Well, that, that is what he does. But here, and I told the fellas I wasn't going to call him Sally Jesse and I wasn't going to make fun of his appearance. And I wasn't. So I, don't worry, guys. I'm not going to go too deeply into that, although I'd love to. Um, He's a self-proclaimed Steely Dan aficionado. <laughs> so this asshole yes. is going to critique... We're the out-of-touch guys. This <laughs> is going to critique us as being culturally relevant one way or another. I mean, look, he takes a shot at Portnoy. Yeah. Portnoy lights him up. Right. So that's now his thing. Now his... I looked at his website. His thing is he, he writes critiques of Republican culture. Right. And he's the furthest thing from a Republican I've ever seen in my entire right. life. Right, like it's not for you, dumbass. No, it's not for you, and you don't get it. Right. You you know? Know I mean? Well, like, look, it could be, as I sort of laid out there in that timeline, it could be your sort of high school level score settling that some people get into journalism to do. <laughs> you know, because it's the only time they feel powerful is, you know, behind a keyboard where they can critique everybody else. But there's also maybe another explanation. Uh, this guy, uh, Derek uh, Robertson, Robertson. Yeah, let's just go with that. Robertson uh, used to work at Michigan Advance. Oh, that sounds weird. What's that? Uh, it's a fake news site. Oh my gosh! You don't suppose it's part of that same ecosystem? Yeah. Oh. Maybe, uh, maybe maybe our reporting hit a little too close to home for old Derek. Oh, so let me get this straight. So the fake media ecosystem set up by folks like Tara McGowan to try to that his people. that his publication is helping rebrand at Political Magazine with right. a nice Q&A and a nice rollout. He used to work for one of these things. Oh, yeah. boy, it gets fed together, right. doesn't it? You know what? I didn't, I didn't see any disclosure in that piece that he worked for. He had a lot of comments on the episode, but he didn't disclose he used to work for one of these fake news outfits. What's super funny and, and related to this is what's obvious in his reporting, quote-unquote, of the program is that he listened to the Mike Pence interview. Yeah, right, yeah. And then he listened to one program the week before last, <laughs> right? Yeah. That's basically it. So, so he was obviously just fed into a, a revenge hit job, right? Right, right. Which he took upon himself. But let me just say, let me just say this: this cat. I want you to go to the internet and look at, just look him up, right? <laughs> and I promised the fellas I wasn't going to do, it, but just look him up while I'm talking about this. This cat has not seen anything cool since it shoved him into a locker and stole his lunch money. <laughs> this dude has nothing, nothing to say to any of the listeners of the Variety program about what's cool or contemporary. Let me assure you. I mean, I just, I, I, I think it's stunning, but it says so much about the state of journalism that this guy is essentially sent out, trotted out, while you, you see Tara is basically getting like PR done for her by right. Politico, right. right? And so then... They get mad because, like, Duncan calls him out on, like, uh, Tara, like, funded and, like, oversaw this, like, fake news courier empire. Right, and, and I would also say, for the record, there's people who used to work at Politico and people who work at Politico who also think this is fucking pathetic. Yeah. They do. They do. Because it's not a monolithic place. There are good journalists there. And right? then they trot out this guy who wrote stories for one of 
the fake news website. Dude, his whole thing, the, like, he was incredible. This, <laughs> this Michigan Advance was like this, this subsidiary of State's newsroom, which is all connected to Hopewell Fund. And sixteen thirty fund. No way. All, all of these nonprofits that have been set up in the liberal, all the liberal billionaire money group. Right, right. I highly recommend going to Open Secrets and reading that article because it's fascinating. That I mean, that's genuinely incredible. Yeah. And this, the the article, uh, uh, boy, what's what's the name on Open Secrets? It's uh, here it is. Dark money networks hide political agendas yeah. behind fake news sites. Yeah, like liberals outspend. The right, something like four to one or five to one when it comes to dark money. And then you hear, you know, their side cry about, oh, my God, dark money is going to destroy democracy. You see that idiot. Uh, what's his name? That Senator Sheldon White. Sheldon White. Perfect example. Cries about it constantly. The left is fueled by it. So just a level set here. Politico, in their effort to rehab this damaged fake news empire. Yeah. Goes out with a very like bright and shiny Q&A about this conquering hero, Tara McGowan. The Variety program takes issue with that. Yes. The next day, mm-hmm. they send this four eyes after us, <laughs> who's going to give us cultural critiques about what's cool behind like a couple of Coke bottles that <laughs> he's staring down. I mean, to be honest with you, that guy hasn't gotten out of a pair of sweatpants since the late 80s. Let's yep. be honest. Right. Uh, Looks like he was picked last for dodgeball a lot. Oh, oh yeah. Which, I mean, which would explain the psychological trauma that requires you to do score settling because people tweet at you. But you come after the program, you're going to get shot. Yeah, you're going to get fired. We're going to have to fire back. And, and, and really, beyond just like uh, making him look like a clown because the minions did a great job ratioing him and dunking <laughs> on him, is I, I'm glad he's just going to bring more attention to the fact that Tara ran the Courier and these fake news websites. And how the real threat to democracy is how these like liberal billionaires are funding these fake news operations, and they haven't clearly haven't learned because Reed Hoffman got caught in Alabama trying to push that like fake news about Russian dis- the Russian bots exactly. Yeah. So yeah, no, completely. The the one giveaway on on the on the theory of the case with this dude, by the way, he describes us uh, as smarmy frat boy ethos. <laughs> I mean that's yeah. That, He's just remembering the dude who put him in the locker. Right? <laughs> the psychological trauma coming back. Yeah, Derek, we're the guy that put you in the locker. Okay, <laughs> I know you're listening. You know he's listening. He's so proud of himself. I know it. I know it. Yeah. Well, enjoy your time. This has been your uh, moment in the sun, and uh, we're getting a lot of downloads though. So thanks. Yeah, I know we have a lot of new fans. Yeah, I got a lot of new emails saying, "Hey, man, I didn't even know you guys were doing this. This is fantastic." <laughs> so it is what it is. But but look, let's move on to other stuff. We have so much good stuff today. We have amazing good stuff. It, so most of you have probably been following the whole "Let's Go Brandon" thing since we first covered this three weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. And, and and for for our you listeners or folks who've been not paying attention to this, there's a NASCAR race. And the audience begins chanting F Joe Biden. And the like, I think it was an NBC, like the reporter lady was like, oh, listen to them. They're all chanting, let's go, Brandon, which <laughs> is amazing because it's it's like the media is telling you, oh, I'll tell you what's actually happening. It's not F Joe I, Biden. Like, I don't blame her. I don't blame her, right? Like, she couldn't she, say. She had to, <laughs> yeah, she had to make the best of the situation. She's trackside. Everyone can hear it. What are you going to say? I'd love to hear an interview with this lady, by the way. They're saying, let's go, Brandon. Just such an unbelievable moment. Brandon, you also told me, as you can hear the chants from the, the crowd, let's go, Brandon. 
It's so good. Oh, so her and Brandon. Anyway, that's become sort of a cultural point for conservatives who publicly state their displeasure with the president. And, and get to dunk on the media at the same time. It's beautiful. And so it just gets crazier because then you have uh, uh, a, 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 an Associated Press journalist, Colleen Long, happened to be on the Friday flight of, of a Southwest flight and uh, mentioned uh, this incident in an article she was already writing about the chant, Let's Go Brandon. She said there were audible gasps from some passengers when the pilot said, let's go, Brandon, over the intercom. <laughs> so, and this is an AP journalist riding Southwest. Correct. No word whether she was with her family or not. So yeah. Well, I mean. Well, good for her. Yeah. I like Southwest. <laughs> there you go. I'm not, I'm, I have to fight smug on this stuff. No, I appreciate that there's some pushback on the uh, on the aristocracy of it all. But, but be that as it may, there became some controversy about what she thought she heard. And so that's the thing is like now apparently some recordings have come out and to me, to other folks who have listened to this recording, that's that's, that's purported to be from from that flight. It sounds like he was saying, let's go Braves on a flight out of Houston. Yeah, it might make a lot more sense. <laughs> right. Know? Yeah. And, right. Uh, the, the amazing thing, though, is you have to go back to Colleen Long's tweets. Uh, she made a thread about this. It was that much of a like painful, My God. painful event for her. She said, "The face when you're trying to go on vacation, and then the pilot says the very thing you're working on over the loudspeaker, and you have to try to get him to comment, but then almost get removed from the plane." <laughs> also, in defense of airline, I was asking them to open locked cockpit, and <laughs> probably yes. sounded insane. That's she stormed the door. That's so, the like, best part. I, I mean, it, how crazy is this situation? You've got this reporter lady from the AP who thinks it's totally normal to try to enter the cockpit of the plane, <laughs> being like, "Hey, did I? Uh, excuse me, did you say let's go, Brandon? Like, if I tried Just running up on the door to the cockpit, I would be shot. Like, are you serious? <laughs> Smug, be, you'd I'd, be in Gitmo. I'd, 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 my corpse would be getting Smug. waterboarded in Gitmo. <laughs> like, this is insane. She's like, oh, I, I and thinks it's funny that she can get away with this. Like, that says so much about the worldview. Like, I, I mean, it, totally, totally. I, totally want, I want you to expound on that a little bit. Well, I mean, this ties in with like, uh, you know, my, my theory on how the most dangerous threat to democracy in America is the liberal suburban white women voters. Like <laughs> a lot of the problems we're seeing is like these people have voted in Looney Tunes and now we're seeing the consequences of it, like from supply chain, the economy, you name it. Uh, and rules don't apply, which is, I think, what they you were getting. They at, absolutely right? don't. It's like, like all, you can you can invent all these rules for everyone else, but somehow, just weeks after the twentieth anniversary of nine eleven, yeah, you can storm the cockpit. Like, that's totally normal. I mean, like you know, uh, someone saying "Let's go, Brandon" is domestic terror. Not me trying to storm the cockpit <laughs> of an airplane. <laughs> <laughs> so, but now there's a whole bunch. Not only is there recordings that very much dispute the content of what she's heard could be something. I don't think anything's terribly clear, to be honest with you. I'd love to say definitively it's let's go, Braves. It kind of sounds like that to me, but I don't. But just like imagine caring this much. That's what I mean. You know? So, so, but then you find out that the, the dates don't match up. Right. Right. The audio from the clip, it like doesn't match up what the reporter was saying that they were the flight that they were on. Yeah. So, I mean, the whole thing is like, you know, it's in the air. Bottom line, no matter what the pilot said, I mean, think about the history of of of, of the Trump administration, where you know you had uh, what's his name, Robert De Niro, Robert De Niro. Uh, you know, accepting an award, and he's on national television. He gets up there and he's like, 
all I have to say is F Trump and everybody claps literally, like seals, claps literally like standing seals. ovation. Yeah. Okay. Right. Uh, and, and, uh, any, the, the, whenever Republicans are like, Hey, can you kind of keep politics out of sports? Shouldn't there be like a separation? <laughs> right. And, and they're like, Oh my gosh. How can you ask someone not to speak their mind? And so if this pilot said, let's go, Brandon, now they're like, oh, my gosh, how dare Shut you speak down. your mind? Domestic yeah. terror. He should be fired. This is domestic terror. Not the lady trying to storm the cockpit. No, right. in watching the libs sort of unwind the pilot's unfitness to fly the plane because of his political affiliation was absolutely unbelievable. And there were some. It things. actually made me think some of them should be on the no-fly list. A hundred percent. Like insane stuff where they're like, there was one person who tweeted out that saying let's go Brandon indicated a likelihood that the pilot suffered substance abuse. Yeah, or and I saw another one was mental illness, which right. is, of course, unsafe to fly. <laughs> well, that's the thing. is like uh, uh, CNN, one of their like national security contributors. Just Asha. Yeah, said that. Uh, uh, Russiagate lunatic. Yeah, she said that this is like let's go Brandon is like worse than ISIS. <laughs> Like, wait a minute, lady. ISIS has done a lot of terrible things. And, and like, she's the expert on the terrible, supposedly the expert on the terrible things they've done for CNN. And she's like, no, actually, the real threats. Let's go, Brandon. And the, and the backdrop to her comments about that, by the way, is a new terror warning in Northern Virginia over the weekend yeah. that ISIS is, in fact, planning attacks in, I mean, in Virginia. It's incredible. I mean, like, the discussion around this was really something else. There were some really great points. I think it was Red Steves who made them, who was like, the, 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 big fury that they have over let's go Brandon stems from a frustration that like before, you know, if it was president Obama, they'd be like, Oh, they're just they're It's racist. They're being racist by saying they're not happy with this Democrat president's policies. <laughs> right. 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 And now with Joe Biden, they're like, Oh man, like with Hillary, right, it's misogyny. Right, right. That's why they attacked her with Obama's racism. Uh, Joe Biden, like, uh, uh, what, what's going on? It's domestic, a, a domestic terrorists. Right, That's domestic. right, right. There's no other card like, for them to pull. They're like the domestic terrorists are like people at NASCAR <laughs> chanting uh, 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 F Joe Biden. It's anyone saying, let's go, Brandon. They're domestic terrorists. And again, not the crazy lunatic liberal lady trying to storm the cockpit. Well, didn't you just read us something that broke on NBC today that was about, that was equating let's go, Brandon, to like, some sort of gun manufacturer. Yeah, I mean, th I mean, this really shows how insane this discourse around this has gotten. Uh, NBC News uh, tweets this out saying, gun dealers are marketing weapon parts and ammunition using a right-wing slogan <laughs> widely understood as code for profanity directed at President Biden. Yeah, so this is the turn, right? This is the turn. This is where it goes from tweets and rhetor rhetorically saying, Oh, well, this vulgarity, this is dangerous to being able to connect it to something like a gun yeah. and being like, no, what? Wait, this is actual domestic terrorism. And the thing is, is that this is so loony the way that they are trying to use, oh, domestic terror. That's what this is. They're, they're calling parents who show up to school board meetings. They're trying to get yeah, they're uh, the Department terrorists. of Justice. They're trying to get the FBI to investigate parents showing up to school meetings. And now they're like, also, if you say, let's go, Brandon, domestic terror. So, I mean, you can kind of see why it is that we spend so much time on segments like this is, and, and why we talk about things like Facebook and the Facebook whistleblower is because it all kind of runs together in what the left's ultimate plan is, right? Right. Any sort of sign of, of resistance to the liberal left, whether it's cultural or political, there is a, an attempt not just to sort of overcome it with public opinion by making their case, as one does in a democracy, right? but actually shutting down every single method of purveying an opinion that's not theirs right 
right? And and the media helps them do this. And they they which is which is really what our ironic. entire podcast is about. That's really what it's about. You should grab your notebook, Dad. Yeah, right, right. Grab right. your notebook, you douche. <laughs> anyway, um, let's go, guys. Let's talk about Virginia. Yes, 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 yes. We got a little sound over the weekend from our favorite Veep. Tell everybody you know to vote tomorrow. Nothing like saying you want to meet me tomorrow. What you what you doing tomorrow? You got any plans tomorrow? Tomorrow's a good day. It's gonna be a good day. But the point is, <laughs> no one's clapping. Listen, listen to that. Wow. Listen, that's a hey. Rev them up, huh? Man, let's go. Man, really running through the tape there, Kamala. <laughs> and it, I mean, it's you know things are getting really grim. Um, you see, you see over the weekend the rallies that Yunkin has had. Journalists have been reporting this. You'll see a thousand people easy. Like uh, there was one rally he had at, at, at some indoor auditorium, and. The journalist was outside in the parking lot, which was packed, because every seat in the auditorium was taken. Man. And meanwhile, they showed video footage from, from McAuliffe you know, rallies. I guess, I mean, if you could call five people hanging out a rally. I, I mean, we're having a rally right now it's recording a, it's a, this. We, this right. is a much more interactive rally than That's right. Yeah. And, and today, this is coming out. Today is election day in Virginia. If you are, I hope you're listening to this in line to vote if you live in That's Virginia. That's a great idea. And, and if, you, if it... If your line looks anything like mine does, and it's typically a 70-30 Democratic district. This is great. As you I, told me this this morning. Yeah, I early voted on Saturday. And it's I, I've never had a problem, never waited in line, always just kind of walked right up, no problems at all. But there was a line, a pretty substantial one. And I was like, oh, I'm not sure that's great news for Republicans, given the makeup of the district that I live in, precinct and all. So... I walk up and I'm kind of looking around, right? Because I'm trying to get the... You want to take, get the vibe check. I got to get the inventory right. of what's happening here. And I notice that like everybody I can see in front of me and the people who are standing behind me are all holding kids, yes. like five and under, right? They're all hold- And they're staring at their shoes. They're hoping desperately that nobody can see them because I guarantee you... They are there to do the business that, frankly, they can't talk about. It's yeah. it's the it's the it's the grill dad and PTA mom revolt. Yeah, you love to see it. That's what I'm saying. Like if you if you're in Virginia, number one, if you're listening to this, if you're in Virginia, if you know someone in Virginia, call them, text them, tell them they got to get out there, they got to vote. You know the rallies are great, seeing the enthusiasm is great, the polls are great, but you got to get those votes in for Yunkin. Um, but when you go to your poll site, I'm curious if this is going to be a tell. Look for, like, you know, gray new balances. Yeah. You see yeah. the dudes, gray new balances. If you it's see, happening. The grill dads are rising If up. you see grass stains on those new balances, oh, yeah. guaranteed Republican vote, you yeah. got to go and uh, talk to that guy. You got to talk to him. And there was that video of, a, of a, like a, another one of these, like, McAuliffe get-togethers. I don't know if you can call them rallies. And there was a dude in the background with the lawnmower just, like, drowning <laughs> out. <laughs> The loudspeaker. I was like, yes, Grill Dad Revolt, full effect. But they're getting in t- increasingly desperate, and I know the Minions would be let down if we didn't talk a little bit about their uh, Weaverman shanty efforts. Yeah, the Lincoln Project doing a uh, a white supremacist hoax um, <laughs> over the, was it Friday? Yeah. I think it was Friday. Yeah, it was so Friday. so the, the, some folks wearing uh, like yeah they're wearing t- yeah yeah tico, tiki shades, torch they yeah. tiki torches and khakis uh, went uh, stood next to the Yunkin bus and said we're here for Yunkin to the like journo there and of course the journo is either in on it or, or well, so yeah so foolish that thinks that oh my gosh. 
this is actually the white supremacists have come out and support. Yeah, the, well, the, the black guy here standing with a tiki torch is an actual real life right. white supremacist uh, who's come probably to commit some sort of domestic terror. I'm not. My take on this is I'm not mad at the Lincoln Project. This is what they do. This is par for the course. I'm mad at the journalist tweeting it out incredulously and, and saying they said I'm with Glenn. I think you have to know in tweeting that that you are giving people the impression that it isn't a hoax or a prank. Of course, no. It went, that that it's real. And, and it the, went viral. And then the McAuliffe campaign, their comms people, their social media people push it out as being like, this is disgusting. Right. My gosh, what does this say about... Right, like it's Yunkin? real. Yeah, they pushed it out. Uh, they, they hyped it up like, oh my gosh, uh, this is a, a despicable event. And it wasn't until, I think it was a Vice News... Journal who yeah. contacted yep. the Lincoln Project like Cameron late in the Joseph. afternoon yeah. that they could that that they could ID one of the people in the photo. That right. then the it was Lincoln a Project, Democratic staffer, right? Right. Right. That, that then the Lincoln Project admitted it was them. The whole day they were just like all all the Lincoln Project people were just pushing it out. And the reporter didn't take down the tweet. Nope. The, the backtracking and saying, you know, so and so my colleague is on the ground today and we'll have more on this later. Okay, so you weren't actually there. Weren't even there. Or maybe you were there, but you're too cowardly to delete it. What was so amazing to me is that the local stations, look, often often these places don't have a ton of bandwidth, right? So they just kind of take the feed of information that's coming on. But what happened as a result of this is that there were noon broadcasts, news broadcasts all throughout Virginia. Right. That indicated that the white supremacists yeah, you, showed Yunk, up at the Yunkin rally. Yunkin event overshadowed, right? Like yeah. you, you did the job of the Lincoln Project for them, as we often say on this podcast, that yeah. the media has a role here. Right. Weird. Weird how that happened. So ultimately they take credit for it. But all, but I think it's true that at least three or four of these people were identified as just straight up Democratic staffers, which gives us another little indication that in these statewide races where there's not federal election laws that prohibit coordination, outfits, and maybe places that do prohibit coordination. I don't know. But in this case, they were able to coordinate with Democrats, including probably the campaign itself. Right. In order to do stuff like well, this. Well, the Lincoln Project has a great benefit in doing stuff like this because the media continues to refer to them as anti-Trump Republicans. It's despite amazing. the fact that they won't vote for a single Republican and they tell you to vote straight ballot Democrat. And 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 uh, the Lincoln Project has given money to the McAuliffe campaign. Yeah, it was like 300 grand or something, right? And, and uh, uh, I mean, it's just shocking. All day you saw the McAuliffe campaign had staffers pushing this out. None of them... Right, there are thousands of retweets got marked for disinformation ahead of an election. My point here, Smug, though, is that like in the retelling of this now, the media can say anti-Trump Republicans responsible for white supremacist hoax. Not not like wired up within all the Democrats and them trying to make a fake news story. It's the oh, it's just his anti-Trump Republicans, right? right? And so like Terry McAuliffe gets to keep his hands clean. (laughs) It's it's a it's a remarkable way of like. Hiding the ball. It's like I said. So, you know, with the Lincoln Project, you've got Southern white men with a history of Confederate imagery (laughs) who made a black man dress up as a white supremacist to help get a politician who's endorsed by a blackface wearing governor elected to office. I mean, you can't make it up. It's complicated. (laughs) Very complicated. I think I think all of this can be summed up with Terry McAuliffe's not in a great place. No, No. not in a great place. I mean, if people come out and vote today in Virginia. And again, like Smug said, if you don't live there and you know somebody who does, call them, email them, text them, tell them to get to the polls and vote. But, uh, you know, it's it's not looking good. 
No, it's not looking good. And even even the uh, you know corporate media has sort of picked up on this. I don't know if you've noticed. Um, New York Times had a big profile on the, on the race. It was very interesting. Yeah, there one anecdote I thought was in particular extremely interesting. This guy Glenn Miller was interviewed. He's from McLean, which is sort of an affluent suburb in Northern Virginia. Very democratic. Anyway, this guy says, "I'm a Hillary Biden voter." Uh, Glenn Miller, a lawyer from McLean, as he walked into the Yunkin rally in Southern Fairfax County on Saturday night that drew more than a thousand people, he explained his tipping point. Working from home and hearing his teenage daughter's teacher make a comment during a virtual lesson about how white men are modern-day slaveholders. Yeah. Well, that ought to do it. Yeah. No, I was told by a lot of people in the media fake. that CRT was fake and that it's just about teaching the history of slavery. <laughs> That's so weird that it's not that. And then also, again, like we were talking about the numbers, from, from the article it says, For Mr. McAuliffe, the visit to Norfolk was one of several stops he made in southeastern Virginia where he drew small to modest crowds of 30 to 100 people. <laughs> It's a week I before mean, the election. Wow. Not good. Not good. And this guy was governor. Yes. It's not like he's some dude who's trying to get his name ID out there. Like, everybody knows who he is. Right. He still can't draw anybody. Right. I mean, he is mere miles from the center of, of the deep state of Washington, D.C. <laughs> his baked-in constituency is massive. And right. they're like, eh, I don't know, man. You see what they're teaching our kids? Right. I mean, I can't tell you what a big seismic change that is. I mean, it really is. But, but you know, I mean, look, I, I think there are a couple reasons why you ought to care about this, and I'll, I'll sum up our, my Virginia thoughts with this. It's not about Virginia. What we've seen over the course of the last 15 years is these, these off-year elections, particularly when one party controls Washington, are a basic predictor of what's to come in an upcoming midterm. If you look at 2005... When Tim Kaine won the governor's race there, what it was a backdrop of a Bush-Chirac war that was deeply unpopular, Katrina and everything else. Yeah, right on the heels of that, he wins by a big margin, and then Democrats blow out Republicans in the House and Senate, their biggest majorities in years. Right, '09 the flip happens. Biden or uh, Obama carries Virginia with big numbers. They go in with Bob McDonnell, Republican nominee for governor. He wins by 18 points. Right. So what happens in 2010? <clears throat> Huge Republican wave year. 17. You, you look at the Trump administration, which would, had become unpopular in Virginia, and, and all of a sudden you got Terry McAuliffe rolling in with a big win. And, or, and, and now that majority is gone from House Republicans. So if you look at this, it is a really significant predictor of a national environment. Maybe it's because of the proximity to Washington, D.C., where the partisan arguments get here first. Or maybe it is something else. But whatever it is, you got to pay attention to the results here because it is a Democratic plus 10 state. Joe Biden won in 2020 by 10 points. If Glenn Youngkin wins this thing, you're talking a double-digit shift in amongst an electorate that is really unlikely to shift. Right? So it's, I mean, it's a really big deal. It is. It's a huge deal. And I have to uh, give a shout-out to Patrick Ruffini on this because... To your point, Holmes, of, you know, what does this mean for the midterms next year? He he did the math on that by, like, outcome, right? So if McAuliffe wins by three points in this race in Virginia, that if you extrapolated that out to the midterms in all districts, it would be a net gain for Republicans of 29 seats. 
<laughs> if Yunkin wins by 0.1%, just, just, you know, wins by a vote, who knows? That would represent a Republican gain of 38 seats. Which is like historic. Right. It'd be like 2010 all over again. If Yunkin pulls it out here with a five-point margin, it'd be a Republican gain of 60 seats in the House. And now, I mean, like, look, it's a long, it's a year from now. So who knows if that's exactly how it would all pan out. But to give you a sense of what happens, if, win or lose, if, if it's close here in Virginia, it's real bad news for Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and again, I cannot stress enough, polls don't matter. The ballots that you cast do. If you're in Virginia, get out there, vote. Go Vote for Yunkin. If you haven't already, tell your friends to. Let's, let's get this guy over the top. A hundred percent. Let's lighten things up here a little bit. We've covered a lot of a lot of big stuff here. There's a new bird of the year in 2021, Smug. Yeah, this is, you know, controversial election news, folks. <laughs> so New Zealand is named the bat, their bird of the year, uh, despite the now controversial fact that bats are not of the avian family. This is very strange. Do you think it's... I think you- it's in poor taste. <laughs> Racist. Given the recent recent history of, of what bats have been accused of, you know, globally, I think we just crossed, what, 5 million people killed? Joe Biden, for Are, God's sake, I thought you were going to shut down this virus. Him and the bats. <laughs> Wait, are you, saying that, are you saying that the bat was framed? Or are you saying I mean, that who the knows? Bat, this is bat rehab. We're rehabbing the image of the bat. Okay. That's what's going on here. It's because history. Originally, it was bat and bat soup that we blamed for the coronavirus, right? right? Like, that was the initial... You know, it was the wet markets in Wuhan and all of this sort of stuff. And then remember at the time, you know, Tom Cotton was like, I don't know, man, this could have been engineered in a lab in Wuhan because it's one of the only locations with that level of a virology lab. Right. right? And everyone was like, well, that's crazy. That's a conspiracy theory. How dare you? No, can't they, say they that. That's racist. racist. Like, that's racist. racist. They're like, that's, that's a racist. racist thing to say. And now what, we here, we are. The bat soup <laughs> here we are. Here we are 18 months later. And they're like, you know what? That, that actually might be possible. Yeah, you that's know? probably what happened. Yeah, we fund so a gain of function. So where does the bat go to regain its image? It goes to Australia. I mean, so in some or New ways, Zealand, I'm sorry. in some ways, I think uh, bat gets, a, 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 you know, a, a tough situation with their image because if you think about what the what i don't know a lot of bats i guess do is they just eat mosquitoes all day long yeah like over a bat's lifetime it eats like multiples of its own weight in mosquitoes which i mean i think we should eradicate the goddamn bugs (laughs) to begin with you know well as we've covered the mosquito is one of the deadliest yeah it's a top killer it's up there it's it's on top now you can make an argument if the bat is responsible for the virus it actually is a hero well, I don't know that you can say the bat is <laughs> the a hero. Over the virus. Stopping the spread of malaria. That's the that's the, t- that's the dunk. So it's like either you're gonna die by the bat's uh, coronavirus, yeah. or you're gonna die by the mosquitoes. <laughs> either way, the bat bird of the year. Incredible! Wow. Uh, you guys ready for some more polls? These are great. These are great polling numbers. Incredible polls. What's what's so funny about these things is that they're now coming from the unlikeliest of places. Yeah, yeah. You know the the ones where. Like when NBC and the Washington Post do their poll, typically what happens is that they sort of like work through it for three or four days to try to figure out the most unfavorable framing that you could possibly come up with in terms of like, how bad is this for Republicans? Well, you know, my favorite part on that, Holmes, is when they announce like a plurality supports something. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? Like they can't get something to 50, but they really want to hurt Republicans. Yeah, right. That's always a giveaway, folks. Well, so they can't do it anymore. Right. Right. And they went through a series of issues, which party would do a better job. And it was like, 
Border security, Republicans plus 27. Inflation, Republicans plus 24. Crime, Republicans plus 22. National security, Republicans plus 21. The economy, Republicans plus 18. Quote, unquote, getting things done is Republicans plus 13. Holy smokes. Josh Kroshauer pointed out that in the history of the NBC poll, Republicans now hold the largest partisan advantage on dealing with the economy. And, and one of the really huge numbers that came from the same poll is the country is headed in the right direction, uh, 22%. On the wrong track, 71%. Mm, that wow. is just massive. They're, and then they did the Democratic side. I didn't even have these numbers in front of me, but I remember watching it. And, and like they were like plus 12 on abortion. And I was like, oh, no, no, that makes a ton of sense. Re- Democrats are, are, are greatly more efficient than Republicans that are performing an abortion. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I got to find, find a silver lining somewhere. It's like where, you know? it, as where it is, right? That's what they're left with. And then, and then, like, if that's not enough, this NPR PBS poll. I mean, guys, you're not going to find many favorable things in the NPR PBS universe. Well, guess what? <laughs> They've they themselves, as our friend John Ashbrook uh, is, is fond of saying, Democrats are now saying, let's go, Brian Brandon. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I mean, this is the most shocking poll I think I've ever seen <laughs> because Democrats, not voters writ large, Democrats want Biden replaced in 2024. This is year one. Yes. Of a new presidency. Yes. yes. Yeah, with, right. With majorities in the House and Senate. Right. 44% of Democrats want someone other than Biden. 36 want Biden. He's absolutely incredible. Democrats. There was no period in time when Donald Trump was president that if you would have polled Republicans, you would have numbers like this. Never. It didn't matter when. At any point. The lowest points. Right. They, you would never get a majority. or 44% want someone else. 36% want the sitting, newly elected president of the United States. The person they literally just voted for <laughs> not like a year ago. So we're not even talking about independence. Right. Right? Right. Oh, man. So, you know, look, a lot of this is happening in the suburbs. Democrats spent a lot of time talking about how they were permanently taking over the suburbs. Morning Consult finds a year ahead of the midterm, suburban erosion has driven Biden's state-by-state decline in all 50 states. (laughs) Incredible. (laughs) They show suburbanites who have been key to Democratic victories have turned on the president. I mean, yikes, huh? Well, we might get a good indication of that tonight in Virginia. You might see you might see some verifying of that. But it's really important when you think out about all the states that are going to make up the key elections come 2022. You know, right. you're talking about Ohio and Pennsylvania and North Carolina and Georgia and Arizona and Nevada and others. I mean, all these places have suburban voters who voted for Biden in droves in 2020. It looks like that's gone. I mean, the honeymoon's over. You're seeing the results of this. They're, they're, they can do nothing right. Anything they touch is completely screwed. You look at the Afghan, uh, the withdrawal from Afghanistan absolute mess absolute mess and i really do think that like we said on the show that's the turning point that's when people are like wait a minute this is an absolute mess this guy's an idiot they don't know what they're doing and then everything just keeps piling on well they also i think psychologically a lot of these democrats and we've talked about this a little bit previously holmes 
But like a lot of these Democrats who voted for Biden did so reluctantly because, yeah. you know, I mean, it's a stylistic issue. He right? was tripping his way through the primary. And there were other candidates who they were excited about. But ultimately, they decided, let's go with Joe Biden. Let's go with stability. Let's go with somebody who we believe can beat Donald Trump. That was the most important thing yep. to those Democratic primary voters. Well, now, you know, a year later, and they're not getting anything. The, the progressives aren't getting anything. The moderates aren't getting anything. COVID's still here. The Afghan withdrawal. I mean, there's not anything happening right now for them to be happy about. No. No. I mean, it's, it's literally just... <laughs> I've never seen, like a, like, a president, like, be in office for a year and deliver so little for its own constituency. <laughs> it just, it's amazing. But he, this is my favorite little bit from the NPR Marist poll, first of all, because they asked this question, which I, I guarantee backfired like crazy and they didn't want to, they didn't want to promote it. But you recall, we talk all the time on the variety program about not taking the bait and that the media tries to frame everything that they can talk about, Derek included yeah. around January 6th. Right. Right. And every single aspect of American culture and politics needs to be seen through that lens, right? You still see all day, every day on MSNBC and CNN, nothing but January 6th stuff. Right. Right? The January 6th commission. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, NPR Marist does a poll in general. Which party do you think is a bigger threat to democracy than the United States? Now, that is the framework. That question is the framework that CNN uses at every single segment throughout the entire day. This is, this is the sort of push poll you know you might run in a campaign after you've run like a thousand grps in a media market where you really tried to burn in a tv ad and you want to see if it was effective because that's what the media has done yeah, it's a right? self-reaffirming self right, like right. how how effective have we been at pushing this fake narrative right turns out that 41 percent think democrats <laughs> are a bigger threat to democracy only 37 percent think republicans oh it didn't work oh you Wait a second. Do you think maybe people are listening to things like Ruthless Variety Program and not the shit that they're watching on right. cable news stations these right. days? Right. I mean, it's real. like CNN and MSNBC especially have gotten increasingly unhinged. That's the death yeah. knell of their relevancy. Is, is that right there? Is that right there? There's nothing that we can say or do. Their ratings, nothing. That greater reflects a lack of message uh, uh, adhesion right. than that poll right there. It's just not working. That's why they're so yeah. sad. So, so keep not taking the bait and keep driving forward. It looks like it's working. Um, I got uh, a little more uh, polling data over here. It says Americans like Halloween more than Valentine's Day, but less than they like the 4th of July and Thanksgiving. Uh, this is great. It's like America again. Yeah. yeah. These are so, th so they put Halloween up against a bunch of these holidays. Uh, Christmas. Uh, only 13% like Halloween more than this holiday. 75% like Christmas more than Halloween. Yeah, well, that's obvious, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, mean it, honestly, if you ask me, it's like the king of the holidays. That's why you have the holiday season. It, like, anchors it. Everyone's typically having a good time, you know. Sadly, I'll, I'll go into a more topical angle for this, but uh, Biden is canceling Christmas. Here's the update on, on Biden's attempts to cancel it. From the New York Times, American shoppers are growing nervous as they realize certain toys, electronics, and bicycles may not arrive in time for the holidays. 
Shortages of both finished products and components needed to make things like cars are feeding into rising prices, halting work at American factories, and dampening economic growth. Again, we've been talking it on the, uh, about it on the Variety program for months and months and months, and now, lo and behold, the rest of the corporate media is figuring this out. But the funny thing is they still can't help themselves with the angle. Like like uh, in, in the article in the New York Times, they say, the disruptions have also become a problem for President Biden who has been vilified on Fox News as the Grinch who stole Christmas. Oh, yeah, it's Fox's Just Fox fault. did it. It wasn't like, the wow. empty shelves. It was Fox's Domestic fault. terrorism calling him a Grinch. Oh, we should ban it all, right? I, I have a question for Smug, as, as you are a big fan of the holiday season. What is the appropriate time to start listening to Christmas music? I think as, as soon as it's not hot outside. Once it's, that's, that's the thing. Wait, now, so before Halloween, you, you would listen to Christmas music oh yeah. in October? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Wow. I mean, it's the holiday season, you know? A season you think of like three months. So as soon as it's no longer hot out, so it's Christmas. I remember when we started the program and we were on all on Zoom and you had the backdrop of your place and you had the tree up. In, in October. In as October. As it should be. As it should be. Is wow. it up now? Uh, no, not it, yet. Is it going up not this weekend? Yet. It's going up this weekend. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I just love that. I just love that, and I love to live in a country where Valentine's Day is unpopular and the Fourth of July is awesome. Yeah, right. Uh, we're back, and we're back where we need to be. Um, last thing that we have to cover, I can't believe that we li- saved it for last. The four hundred and fifty grand for illegals—it's so outrageous. It's the most ridiculous, crazy thing. I've heard in some time. So the Wall Street Journal reported last Friday that the government is considering payments of $450,000 per person affected by the Trump administration's zero tolerance policy in 2018. So, and that's per person. It's important to note. So, so like, <laughs> if, it, if it's a, if it's a, a mom, a dad, and, and a child, you're talking about three folks who are getting 450000 So 450 grand. What's the median I- income in this country? Like, 50 grand? Yeah, I'd say right around there. So so, so you're getting a magnitude higher than that. There were so many examples that were pointed out. Um, uh, I think it was, it was Dan, uh, Rep. Dan Crenshaw who said that a family, after a service member is killed, can expect to get around 400000 Unbelievable. So, so it exceeds, exceeds a veteran's exceeds, benefit? If, if your loved one is killed in action, you can expect to get less than... Uh, the Biden administration is handing out to people for breaking the law. Guys, this is right. this is what their values. This this is what it is, right? Right. Meanwhile, they're they're on Capitol Hill talking right now about how they certainly wouldn't dream of taxing anybody over four hundred thousand dollars. Well, it looks like the illegals are going to get hit. Well, I mean, <laughs> that's that's the beauty of this. Is like, well, if if you're illegally entering the country, you're not a citizen subject to the uh, tax after the Dems hand you four hundred fifty thousand dollars for breaking. You laws. think it's tax free? <laughs> I mean, that would be incredible. It's, it's nuts. It's nuts. <laughs> no, but seriously, think about it. I mean, what they're doing and framing their piece of garbage bill on Capitol Hill right now is that it somehow won't hit anybody but the rich people because only rich people make over the $400,000 mark. Meanwhile, they're telling illegal immigrants that they'll get a check for $450,000. Right. By, by the way... Because they broke America's laws. And it right. goes on. A Department of Homeland Security attorney involved in the settlement talks complained on a conference call that the payouts could amount to more than some families of 9-11 victims received. Jeez. Oh, man. Oh, man. Well, look, I think everybody's going to have a proper outrage over this one, right? I mean, that can't, if that happens, it there will be no more Democratic Party. 
There just won't be. They're that crazy. I really do believe they are that crazy in, in their own little bubble, which is why you're seeing them fight over this like mess of a like, quote infrastructure bill, which is basically, ironically enough, like a handout to the billionaires because all their donors are like in California, New York, <laughs> which is why they're focused on like. Oh, yes, we're going to help the people with the SALT state, tax state and cut local, for our donors. Yeah, the state and local tax deduction. And we've talked about it a lot, but that is the bulk of what they're talking about right now. That's is it. How do we give rich people in blue states a tax cut and then try to claim credit for everything else? It's insane. Right? Oh, man. Fellas, I've worked myself into a lather. Can we play? <laughs> yeah, let's, uh, let's play Claim to Fame. Yes. Excellent. Incidentally, didn't you love how Derek didn't get that one either? <laughs> he didn't get the game. He, he he was like, yeah, they're culturally outdated because they play fame. Like he didn't. He also he didn't listen to it. Obviously, right? He doesn't get it. It's not claimed. No, no, it's 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 fine, dude. So for the for the, for the first time, listeners or folks who haven't heard us play this game before, the way it works is so Ron Klain is is the chief of staff in the White House. Uh, which his job is basically he he sits on Twitter and retweets people who are completely out of their minds uh, trying to help out Joe Biden and and support the awful things that are happening. They'll be like, oh, yeah, actually, you know, maybe 450,000 paid out to someone who broke a law. It's a good idea. So so Ron Klain hunts the Internet for the people with the most brainworm takes, and he retweets them. And so Mr. Duncan is going to read four of these. And we have to guess which one actually was not retweeted. Yeah, which lunatic thing on <laughs> Twitter did he not RT? And last week, you, or two weeks ago, you tricked us on this. I believe I did. Yeah, there's a lot of strategy involved. It's a very complicated <laughs> okay, game. Okay, let's, let's get into it. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Statement number one. And this is from uh, Max Boot. Oh, yeah. Oh, these are so hard. One of Klain's favorites. Uh, Max Boot is... Quote tweeting Brian Stalter. So oh, it's mean, really layers. incredible content. Just an orgy of awesome. Yeah, there. right. So Brian Stelter uh, tweets, uh, the leader of the Democratic Party is trying to pass a bill to strengthen the social safety net, while the leader of the Republican Party is spreading lies about the last election. <laughs> Max Boot quote tweets it and says, sums it up. <laughs> Statement number two. Um, this is a tweet from this guy, uh, Will Raglan, who I think works at uh, Amer- American Bridge. Or no, I think Cap Action, one, one of the progressive outfits. He's uh, quote tweeting Matt Gates. Uh, Matt Gates says Donald Trump is the best supply chain president God has ever created. And Will Raglan quote tweets it and says under Trump, a shortage of staples crippled supply chains for months let's review and then he goes on like thread staples state like actually we're talking about paper staples no he's, i think he's talking about like important 
parts of oh, it's like like a staple of the economy. Yeah, which is I mean I don't know where he comes up with that garbage from, but hey, <laughs> so that's these people's job. It's like there's empty shelves. We've got ports backed up, but this guy <laughs> thinks he's gonna win an argument. Yeah, thanks, Will. Statement number three. This is from uh, Joanne Reed, MSNBC. She posts um, an article um, from the Washington Post. The party of thugs. Oh, no way. And it's just, um, you know, an article about how bad Republicans are. (laughs) They're being rude and crude with this let's go Brandon stuff. (laughs) Was it Politico magazine? Uh, It was Washington Post. Okay. Has she she ever caught the, like, time-traveling hacker, I guess, who who forced her to post... All the homophobic Ho- stuff. Homophobic stuff. Yeah, we're yeah. still looking for like some kind of like a Marty McFly. Yeah, targeting Joy Reid. My understanding is NBC is deeply into an internal review on the matter. <laughs> Statement number four. This is from Eric Levitz. A bill that did nothing but establish universal pre-K, five hundred billion in climate funding, and a permanent child allowance kind of seems preferable to the emerging grab bag of ill-designed, underfunded programs. That are all set oh. to self-destruct during the second Trump oh, wait, administration. Wait, what are you kidding? Wait, what, what it's it? a critique. Can you reread that? Yeah, I'm not sure I got that one right. A bill that did nothing but establish universal pre-K, $500 billion in climate funding, and a permanent child allowance kind of seems preferable to the emerging grab bag of ill-designed, underfunded programs that are all set to self-destruct I mean, during if that's, the second Trump administration. If that's, if that's him, that's amazing. Uh, so so I, I want to discuss that. In, in detail. The first thing I'm going to do is, is by secret ballot, I'm going to let Duncan know which one okay, I think did on. not. I'm, turn, I'm turning around. Did okay. not get it? Okay. So I, I want to go right into this Looney Tune uh, uh, tweet right here because you're seeing this as kind of a theme they're trying to jump on, right? Where they're like, they look at these poll numbers. They know Biden is like, I mean, he's just tanking. And so now they're like, oh, man, the only reason like they, they, they created this narrative and the media pushed it that like Trump's the greatest threat to humanity, which is how they get Joe Biden in the White House. And now they see Biden's tanking. And they're like, oh, guys, remember Trump? Trump Trump's going to uh, uh, come back and, and it's going to be it's going to be the end of humanity all over again. Like all they're talking about is, oh, wow, if we don't pass this or if we don't do this or if we don't take over uh, elections, if we don't federalize them. Then Trump's going to come right back. Trump <laughs> right, presidency that, number right, two. Right, is right, do right. It. You're, you hit the nail on the head there. I think in a, in a lot of ways, which is that like you're seeing this growing theme in you know the liberal media class to say like if you don't at least pass like a half measure, Donald Trump's coming back. Yeah. Right, you know? right. 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 No. There's no question. But what's really interesting about this is it is a critique of the negotiations that are happening over this bill. Who's in charge of those? Right, right, right. Ron right. Klain. Who's the president of the United States? Ron Klain's in charge right, of it. Right, So it's like he's... If it's ill-designed, it's your fault. I, yeah. So it, did he RT it Oh, or my not? gosh. That is the... Wow. So I my guess is he did. My guess is he did. Because he sees... Even though it makes him look like an idiot for not doing his job of getting <laughs> this thing done, I think he's he's so stupid and he all he has left is, is they're like, oh, my gosh, Trump's going to come back. Let me just say, if he did, and I believe he did too, but if he did, that in and of itself tells on itself for why it's taken Democrats four months to get themselves on the same page. The chief of staff at the White House right. is 
bitch-talking his own members of Congress right. about their negotiations. Right. If you RT'd that, you might as well, like, submit your letter of resignation. Right. <laughs> right. Oh, my gosh. All right. So his pick is in? His pick is in. Okay. I'm saying that he definitely, definitely RT'd Will Ragland. Okay. I think he's all over whatever Joy Reid does. Because remember, this guy lives with MSNBC. Yeah. Right? Oh, if he's not on it, he's watching it. So I, those two are there for me. I say it's Boot. And the reason why I say that he didn't RT Boot here is because why wouldn't you just RT Stelter? I mean, because as crazy as Boot and Stelter both are, Stelter at least works at a media outlet, right? I mean... Right. Why ad sums it up to the comment that basically made the point, right? Which you're, is you're, by Brian Stelter. You're, you're saying it's it's almost kind of a mis, misuse of the internet. It it's is like a you misuse. Could, you could have just if you saw boot quote tweet that you could have just clicked on Stelter and RT'd that, and that was the point you were trying to get through. Evidently, I don't know. We'll so, see. So, so my theory on that is that it, it's kind of like he's trying to Duncan here is trying to like. In mind games? Yeah, double mind gaming us. <laughs> where he wants us to think, oh, maybe Boots falling back out of favor and didn't get the retweet. I'm going to stick with the narrative that he loves Boots so much. He's, he's just like, got to go with Boots. Yeah. Okay. All right, so I say one. You say? That he did not retweet Joy Reid. I think it, was, it wasn't mm. brainworm enough, mm. and she didn't offer enough commentary. It kind of felt like, you know, it's just... Party of thugs. Stale. Yeah, I thought it was stale. Okay. Smug was right. Oh, that was a good one, bud. He did, in fact, RT number four, which basically <laughs> is him admitting he's doing a poor job. Congratulations. <laughs> What's so funny is that the both of us got that one. Yeah. Right? Oh, you're like, yeah. Yeah, no, well, he, yeah, clean he has no shame. very dumb. <laughs> he is, in fact, really dumb. All right. Well, good game. Well done, Smug. A big victory. Um, Let's hear that theme. Don't you know who I am? Remember my name, Brain. Brainworm takes forever. You're gonna like my post most. I feel engagement forever. Broken brain takes with no shame, Queen. Hot takes up to eleven. Saving Joe Biden from blame, Queen. It's gonna live forever. All right, we got a big interview uh, with Katie Boyd Britt. She is the candidate from Alabama running for Senate. I want to welcome to the program a very special lady, someone I've known uh, for a while. She's worked in the Senate while I worked in the Senate, now running for the U.S. Senate down in Alabama. Katie Britt, welcome to Ruthless. Josh, I am excited to be on the program. Uh, <laughs> happy to be here. It's a big deal to, to get to be on this with you. Listen, you know, we're just trying to make our way. It's been a, it's been a year and we've, we've earned some critics now, but we're, uh, we're happy to provide the forum. And honestly, this is, you're a perfect candidate for kind of what we like to do with our interviews because we have a nationwide audience. Not everybody's tuned into the Alabama Senate race. They should be. It's an important one. You've gotten in and sort of blown the doors off the place from a fundraising standpoint. Um, I mean, is this everything you thought it would be and more? Oh, well, I, I, will, I will say this first, congratulations on such an incredible year. And thank you for what you were bringing to all of us. Um, 
keeping us informed and, and also keeping us sane, uh, which is quite the challenge nowadays. Right. Um, as far as the race, I mean, obviously we got in and um, the first three weeks we knew we needed, you know, we had from June 8th to the end of the quarter to really show strength. And we did 2.24 million in fundraising. And then uh, that next quarter, if you add those four months, we did three point, I think seven, six million. Um, and the great part about that, Josh, was 88% of that came from Alabama. And you know, 95% of it came from individuals. So what we are seeing is really Alabamians stepping up to the plate and investing in the future of their state and the country. And that momentum, I mean, we were blown away by that number because that is more than any Republican candidate has ever done in the Senate race in Alabama for the entire primary and runoff combined. So to be able to hit that mark in, um, in four months was exciting for our campaign. Yeah, no, really exciting, particularly, as you said, because that sort of groundswell of fundraising came kind of out of nowhere, right? It, it's your first time candidate. Now, you've lived in the political world before as chief of staff or Senator Shelby, but this is the first time with your name on the ballot, right? And now all of a sudden, you've got a couple million bucks in the first few weeks. Yes, it really was. And and that's what's so exciting is there are people that are typically not politically engaged that are stepping up and saying, we want to invest. We want Alabama to be a place that our children want to raise their children. And we want someone that's going to go to D.C. and fight for our values. And people don't want more of the same. They don't they don't want to elevate, you know, ineffective career politicians. Um, and I think they're ready for something new. And to be honest, I mean, this country has swung so far left so quickly under Biden. It's been a total disaster. And, you know, you've got mamas um, across our state that are stepping up at school board meetings and also stepping up to this. I've, I've said, Josh, I am a mama on a mission. And I think that that is important because that's the way so many Alabamians feel about the importance of this race and the importance of taking our country back. So let's talk about that for a minute, because, you know, you look at this race at the onset before you got in and everybody would have thought, well, you'd have to be suicidal to go jump in, <laughs> right. you know, against, against somebody like Mo Brooks, who's been there forever and, and obviously has a constituency with the former president and everything else. And yet you sort of put that aside. And what, what I, I'm interested from your perspective, like what was it? At what point did you look at your state or what was happening with the Biden administration and decide, okay, I, I got to do this? Yeah. So, um, well, I'll have to say this. Um, I'll have to start with my husband, Wesley Britt. He's a hard guy. He's a hard guy to miss. He, Josh, he is. And so for all of your listeners who are not familiar with him, uh, he is 6'8", 320. So like I said, he is a whole lot of man. If you know what I mean. Um, and so he takes up most door frames. And, and when people say to me, I don't think I've met your husband yet, then I, I'm like, well, then you actually haven't. Uh, because you, <laughs> you would, would remember not him. You would remember. Um, and so my husband, uh, who, who did have, he played at Alabama and then played with the New England Patriots. And then we actually both went back to school. I went back to law school. He went back and got his MBA. Um, Josh, we did that with a newborn and an 11 month old. So uh, on the scale of bad ideas I've had in my life, uh, that one probably takes the cake. Um, but all of that to say, you know, he actually stepped down from his job for us to do this. And that's how serious we um, 
see the direction of this country moving, moving the wrong way. And ultimately, you know, we prayed about it and prayed about it. And we have two beautiful children and they are why we are stepping up because we believe if the next generation doesn't get off the sideline and remind people what this country was founded on, Christian conservative principles, you know, protecting people's freedoms and liberty. If we don't have our generation get engaged and fight, there's not going to be a country left for our children to fight for. And to be honest, Josh, I kept praying about it and I kept, you know, I was hoping I could just stay comfortable because coming from the small, you know, county where I'm from and Wesley, you know, we had these jobs that we thought we'd never have. And um, to step away from all of those things, you know, at 40 years old, that's a big deal. Um, You'll love this. My son set me down first and said, "Uh, Mama, uh, may I speak with you privately? (laughs) And I thought, oh, my goodness. He shut the door. He started going. He went through exactly what I needed to do to win this race. He said, Mom, you've got to do this, and here's how you're going to do it. Um, and Josh, you would be blown away. I think he may have a political consultant future. In I was his. just going to say, can I see a resume? I, I yeah, he, he came work. in and he said, Mom, first, he said, you need to make sure that people know how strong your faith is. He said, people need to know how much you love Jesus. He said, next, he said, because I asked him, I said, can I take notes once he got started? Because I knew he was like on a roll. He said, next, they need to know what you believe in. He said, then they need to know about your family. He said, mama, people need to know what a good mama you are. He said, and then they need to know about your work ethic. He said, nobody works harder. He said, it's important for people to understand where you came from and how that affected your life. And he said, and they definitely need to know about your passion for small business. Wow. Yeah, right. And uh, so then, and then, and I'm the daughter of two small business owners and the oldest of four girls. You know, my dad's not a political donor. My mom didn't have the opportunity to go to college. You know, I've been taught the American dream my whole life, which is you keep your head down and you work hard. And if you do that, then in this country, you can achieve more than your father before you. But unfortunately, under the Biden administration, all of that is at stake. And So, you know, after talking with my son, then about a week and a half later, my daughter came in and said, Mom, you've got to run for the Senate. This country is a mess. And this is an 11-year-old at the time, uh, about to be 12. And I said, well, sweetheart, I really appreciate that. But this is a really hard thing, right? So running for the Senate um, just any day of the week is a tall order. But if you add on top of it the current climate in the country and the dynamics at play in this race, sweetie, this is a really hard thing. And she said, well, mom, I believe you can do it. And I said, well, I appreciate it, baby. But again, it's, it's a really hard thing. And she looked at me, Josh, and she said, well, mama, doesn't God call you to do hard things? <laughs> and I thought, who, who is the adult in this conversation? Yeah, um, and, so, <laughs> and ultimately, ultimately that, that's it. You know, we see what's at stake and we love this nation and we believe that children should be taught to love this nation. Now, while every day we will get up to form a more perfect union, absolutely, but we're going to love this country and we want to preserve the, you know, the foundational building blocks that it was built on. And we want Alabama to be a place that our kids want to raise their kids. And I believe Alabama is a great state with great people and we have a great story to tell. And I want to go fight to make sure hardworking Alabamians have that seat at the table 
so that no child's opportunity is defined by their zip code. Yeah. I mean, well, look, what I love about your story, first of all, your kids sound incredible. Amazing. You said 12 and, and how old is your son? Yeah, so now they're 11 and 12. Um, Man. And so they are, it's a big year in our house because now they are officially both in middle school. Yeah. Um, well, I want to so talk, I want to talk to you about that because there's a lot about your story that is interesting to me and specific to this particular cycle, right? We, we've sort of broken out of the box of your typical sort of political candidate on the Republican side. And there's a bunch of people who are getting into this for a whole range of, of reasons. Typically, there are not a lot of young mothers that are running, except now there are. And, and they're interested in politics at all levels. People are showing up at school boards like never before. Part of that's COVID, right? And, and seeing what happened when kids stay home and the curriculum they're taught. But I think there's just a larger movement going on. I'd be interested to get your thoughts on that. Oh, there absolutely is. I mean, it doesn't matter where I am in the state. And we are literally, Josh, burning up the highways and the dirt roads. And I'm here to tell you there are more dirt roads than I realized. Um, <laughs> we are all over. But that is the common theme. I think people see what's happening in this nation and um, people see what's happening even you know, in our schools and are stepping up to say enough is enough and we are going to be engaged and we have every right to be engaged. And in fact, we should as parents. I mean, I have said often, I am not going to co-parent with the federal government. I'm not doing it. Um, and so, right. you know, good line. And, and making sure, you know, I have been inspired by my friends who have taken school board, I mean, who have, you know, shown up at school board meetings or at city hall and saying, you know, we're going to make sure that our children are not indoctrinated, you know, that our children are taught the fundamentals, uh, you know, of reading and math and that, um, and that they're taught to love this nation. And so there is a real movement at hand. And interestingly, I was um, speaking to a Republican women's group the other day, and I was just blown away by the president of the group. And she said, look, I am a mama bear. And when mama bears get mad, you know, watch out. And, and that's exactly right. I have said multiple times, I am a mama on a mission to save the nation that I know and love for my children um, so that they can enjoy you know, the things that, honestly, Josh, we've taken for granted. Yeah. Um, and I'm excited to be, I'm, I am excited to join the ranks of the United States Senate, um, obviously, in 2022, and to be that voice, to be a mean? voice at the tables for, for mamas everywhere, saying, no, no, hold on, wait a second, let's look at it from this perspective, and, um, and to really, and to be fierce about it, too. I can't wait. I think one of, the, one of the other things that sort of distinguishes you as a candidate is you spend a little time around the Senate, right? So, yes. you know, if you're elected, you're not sort of starting at square one. You, you know the importance of the filibuster. You know the importance of the procedure. You know, you know that what Democrats are doing right now has, runs the risk, basically, of undermining the entire body, right? Or the whole entire federal oh, government, really. Absolutely. Curious absolutely. to get your, your thoughts on what they're doing with reconciliation, the two trillion and all that nonsense. It's really disgusting. I mean, honestly, if you trying to change the fabric of our nation in, in one day, you know, in one day's time, spending more or almost as much as we would spend in an entire year, um, you know, with this package, and, and the package is not what they say it is. I mean, in fact, it is 
working to move us further and further towards socialism. You know, it's, it's working to change the dynamics at play of what this country was founded on. And that's, you know, we've talked about it, but the American dream, it's about working hard. It, you know, this country is about preserving what Dr. Martin Luther King fought for, which is equality of opportunity, not demanding equality of outcome. And unfortunately, the way this is working, and, you know, I traveled the state, Josh, to, to small communities and, and large ones, you know, across Alabama, and everyone is looking for, you know, people to come back to work. You know, we, right. these supply chain issues we're seeing, it, it is, it's remarkable that the lack of leadership from the Democratic Party, because what they should be doing is taking a step back and saying, okay, what did we learn from COVID? Now, I, I would think the first thing should be to protect our supply chain. And so if we were going to be investing money, um, and by the way, the money they're spending is money we don't have, uh, but if we were going to be do that, that's exactly what it would be. It would be for to make sure that the American worker, you know, has we have jobs and that we don't have to depend on China and other places to to make sure that we, you know, we uh, we need the things that we need in this country. And so, I am incredibly frustrated to watch them. The Senate was designed to be kind of that saucer where the the coffee cools. And watching them, they know that. They absolutely know that. And instead of working, you know, across party lines to figure out, you know, how can we create a package that will genuinely move this country forward in a bipartisan manner, uh, they are using tricks of the trade that were not intended, not intended to be used like that in order to shove a socialist agenda down the throat of this country. Yeah. Now, well said. I mean, that's exactly what's happening. I know you've got some thoughts and you've talked a lot of, on the stump about what's happening at our border as well. Um, I mean, what are oh, your, well, you've worked total, a lot on that I mean, when you're in the Senate. It is a, it is a failure of failure of leadership from the Biden administration. And interestingly, Josh, I try to be the kind of person that can take a step back and say, okay, what's going right uh, under Biden, literally every single thing in the country is moving in the wrong direction. Every single thing, like every single thing. And if you look at the border, I mean, we are seeing record numbers of encounters and that's, that's a direct result of him coming in and, you know, in his first hundred days doing, you know, 90 something executive orders that have to do with, with the border, um, taking away Trump's remain in Mexico policy and the public charge. I mean, he has basically said, come one, come all. Um, and now we not only have a crisis at our border that is a national security threat, and that is exactly what it is first and foremost. And you obviously see what's happening in Afghanistan now, again, um, as a result of his failed leadership. And, you know, it's not going to be too long before those people can just come, come right, hotbed of terrorism, come right over to Mexico and then right across the border. Um, but also it's a humanitarian crisis that's occurring on the border every single day. And um, just the, the human trafficking that is occurring, the drug trafficking, I mean, you've seen the same numbers that I have, you know, with regards to just record number of um of drugs being caught at the border yeah. and they've said what's not being you know there's enough fentanyl coming from china to mexico across our border it could kill every single american four times over i mean we must seal and secure our border and uh this this travesty that is occurring there right now is a direct result of failed leadership by joe biden yeah no absolutely right um katie i'm gonna lighten it up a little bit because i got three three big questions and, and <laughs> okay yeah. okay these are the ones that people listen to. So, you know, uh, think through carefully. 
Okay. Okay. Got it. Got it. People just read, just fast forward to the end. Like this is it. This is the moment. This is the moment. <laughs> a lot of pressure. A lot of pressure, Josh. This is where minions make their judgment. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, so the first question is, Katie Britt, your last meal on earth, what would it be? Mm. Okay. Oh the minions might not like this. I think I'd probably start with a big bucket of boiled peanuts, uh, which, which shows exactly where I'm from. Um, and, uh, then I would probably transition to steak and depending on the day, how I'm feeling, you know, I might just go full strip, T-bone, maybe filet, but definitely cook medium rare, whatever I do, because if you do anything above that, you might as well just throw it out. <laughs> um, a baked potato, um, I'm going to get all the fixings. I'm not going to worry about it. We're going to put yeah. them all on there. Last meal. Right, last meal, and I may try to make myself feel better with uh, with some of Wesley's favorite, famous broccoli. Um, but yeah, other than that, and I'm some sure. bread, some bread, I, and I, I'm going to have some olive oil. I know that doesn't go together, but I'm, I'm piecing together some of my favorite yeah. things. No, I mean, so, look, yeah. the last meal, you can do whatever you want with it. That's right. That's right. I sure can. I'm, <laughs> I'm here for it. I'm maybe in less, let's put some crab on top. If I do a filet, let's do that. <laughs> Good. Now you're let's, just go. let's go for it. Let's go okay. for it. Seafood, peanut. Let's just go for it. All of it. All of it. Should we get a spaghetti and meatball involved, or are we are we good? You know, I you know maybe I need to rethink the appetizer portion and add. <laughs> I could add that in. I could add it in. Right? Nothing stopping me. I love that. I love that. <laughs> that is a very good order. Hey, you will, you will love this, Josh. When we were uh, in New England and Wesley would have weigh-ins because, you know, they charge you like per pound per day. You're overweight or underweight, depending on, you know, what your thing is. He would order a little like salad and I would order like steak, potatoes, asparagus. And the waiter would always come out and be confused, you know, whoever was bringing it and give him mine and mine his. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Switch that over. <laughs> oh, good. I guarantee the waiter's just staring at you like you've right? Like, what is happening? What? What's happening? That's right. This That's salad right. cannot feed that. that exactly. 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 Oh, very good. Okay. All right. So here's the second question. And I know that you're sort of new to elected politics, obviously your first time name on the ballot, but you've been in public service before. So the question is, if you never got into public service, if that was politics were never a part of your life, what do you think you'd be doing with your life? Hmm. Um, I do genuinely have a heart to make, to, to serve, like to make things better around me. And I've tried to do that no matter where I've been. Um, you know, I am a practicing attorney, but I feel like that's kind of boring, particularly for the minions. So, so I, I actually, the other day, I got to wave the green flag at Talladega. Oh, you All did? Right? Oh, yes, I did. It, experience of a lifetime, Josh. I'm standing up there. I'm terrified because if, I mean, a solid 82 people had said to me, you're going to be great. Just don't drop the flag. Oh. And I thought, I didn't even know that was a thing. I didn't even know you could drop the flag because then they would have to like, you know, go pay, have a pace car, come back. It would be a disaster. You would, call, you would cause a wreck, right? Exactly. And then talk about, uh, hey, hopes of an Alabama Senate win going down the tube. Quickly. That would be, that would you. <laughs> yeah, it'd be done. Talladega, messing it up, finished. It would be um, like the story, the story of Katie Britt, the Talladega. That's right. 
Good yes, job. the girl who almost, like, what then? Uh, yeah, so I, I got to wave the green flag. It was incredible, like, to feel the cars underneath. I mean, it, it just, and then I got to go to pit row. I mean, just, it was, so I feel like I may have a career in NASCAR. I feel what like, I feel like that may, you know, right here at home and, and just make it happen. Maybe a driver, who knew? Maybe shatter some glass ceilings there. Just do yeah. it. Yeah, or just fix tires and stuff. Also that, also that. <laughs> they say you have to be super athletic to be able Oh to yeah, for it. sure. And so I'd have to really kind of, you know, I, I was a, a, a dancer and all of those things growing up. So I'd have to really pull back out my, my balance and my, you know, uh, coordination skills, but I could try out. I think I could do it. Fun fact, I had my bachelor party at Talladega. No, you didn't. Well, then, did. then you have some good stories, and let's hope that we did not have cell phones then, right? <laughs> they recorded things. We we had them, but we locked them away. There are okay. no, there are no I like it. Graphic it's app. one of those, put it in the basket, we'll give it back at the end of the weekend. Exactly. That's nice. That's exactly. Nice. All right. So <laughs> here is the third and final question, and this one gets to like, you know, what, what motivates you beyond, you know, the obvious. It's what motivates you more, the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat? And here's the way that I look at it, right? The thrill of victory person is the sunny optimist, glass half full, always charging up the hill, like we can do it, we can do it, we can do it. The, the, the agony of defeat person is like the Michael Jordan character, right? Where they wake up just sort of angry at the mere prospect that anyone could defeat them at anything. Mm-hmm. Right? And it just drives them every day. So that's like the two poles where do you find yourself? Yeah, so um, I wake up every day to to uh, to win that day, and I am telling you, I fiercely do it. And I'm sure I am sure my team could test to that because they're like, "Really, are we going to pay attention to that little detail?" I'm like, "Yes, we are." Um, so every single day, I, I wake up um, and want to win that day, and I believe in leaving it all on the field. Um, look at me, I'm talking like Wesley now. He's going to be so proud. He used to say that he used to say that Belichick would be like, you know, losing is like drowning and you need to be fighting for a win. You know, Belichick, for every breath. Belichick, very much an agony of defeat guy. <laughs> right? So, um, so I have a little bit of that in my ear with, with, with Wesley. And I think that this one, there is so much at stake for our state and our nation. And I believe that, you know, this race and what it can mean for, um, you know, for our party and bringing in new voices, new conservative voices, you know, that want to fight for the foundation of our country. And, you know, why hey, want to want to bring, like you said, the, the mamas across the nation, give them a seat at the table. You know, I'm excited for that. And I am excited for, for what it means, because I believe I believe in Alabama and I, I believe in this country and I believe both are worth fighting for. And so I can't wait to uh, celebrate the victory on May 24th. Uh, 2022, um, but get up every single day to win the day and ultimately know that it's worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like you got a little hybrid thing going there, but that's, I do. that's I good. Do. you know, a thrill and agony. You got to have a little of both sometimes. That's so, right. That's right. Katie, you got to tell us where can the minions find you and help you if they want to. Yes. And Hey, we need the minions help. So, um, Katie Britt for Senate.com uh, and then Katie Britt 
for AL on Instagram and you know Twitter and all the things. And we need your help. And we, we need you to help us spread the word. If you're so willing, we need you to invest in this campaign so that we can get our message out. We have seven months and we are working hard. We are building momentum every single day. People are excited about something new and something different. They want new blood, fresh blood, and they're ready to see someone go fight for the country we know and love. Great. Katie Britt, thank you for joining us. Josh, thank you so much for having me. This is a, this is a real honor. I'm a, I'm a bit starstruck to even have the opportunity. <laughs> Nonsense. That's, That's right. You keep That's up right. the good work, though. Will we'll do. Will do. I appreciate it again. So she, look, she's a really charming individual. I enjoyed talking with her and, and uh, seeing her again. It's been a long time. I, as I said, I used to work in the same building as her. didn't know her very well, but she's obviously got a big task in front of her. And, you know, look, we can't lose Alabama. We've proven that we can lose Alabama before. I don't think it's likely <laughs> this time around. But, uh, you know, she could be good. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I worked with her a bit um, in the Shelby days. Um, and she was always fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Whip smart. Well, anyway, that's a, uh, that is a race that everybody should be watching. As you know, we, we put on basically all of the candidates in the Republican party who are running for these critical nominations for the United States Senate, because we need somebody to give you the story that they'd like to tell beyond the mainstream media. Cause you're never going to get it from them. We're going to keep doing it. We'll have them all put together in some place at some point before the primary where you can kind of click and choose which ones you want to listen to before you go vote. Absolutely. So another banger of an episode, gentlemen, outstanding work. I, I won the game. I mean, I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to point that out yet again, huge victory claim to fame. Uh, and thanks again to all our listeners. So until next time, Manians keep the faith, hold the line and own the libs. We'll see you on Thursday. Stay ruthless.